welcome to another episode of the Saxo Market Call podcast. As always, my name is Soren Otto, and today I am joined by none other than our fixed income expert, Altea Spinoci. Hi, Altea. Hi, Soren. Happy to be here. Yeah, and it's been too long. And uh, just because of that, I think what we're going to talk about today is that we're going to take a status of the fixed income market uh, in the first uh, month and a half of 2024. I think we're going to start talking a little bit about the US and then we're going to move to Europe. And then we'll try and look ahead and see what this start to the year has meant is or is going to mean for the rest of the year and how to position uh, ourselves in that environment if we want to invest in bonds. But um, let's just jump straight into it. Absolutely. So if we start in the US, which obviously has a lot of attention and and and. Basically, the story this year has been whether we were going to have a recession or not, and maybe that sort of moved backwards a little bit, and now the discussion is when are we going to have rate cuts, etc. Some of the, the underlying reasons for that are strong labor markets and a relatively strong economy, but but from your, from your chair, what what's your view on the bond market and, and, and the market at large in, in the U.S. right now? So what's happening, I believe, both in the U.S. and in Europe is that we are having a continuation of the macroeconomic trends that we have seen in 2023. So when we look at the U.S., what we have is a strong economy, um, tight labor market, inflation that remains high, around uh, 3%, and that's positive uh, for stocks and is bearish uh, for bonds because it means that the Federal Reserve needs to remain uh, on hold for longer. So basically what happened uh, since December when bond futures were pricing markets to cut, uh, the central banks, the Federal Reserve, to cut rates by um, seven, seven times uh, uh, this year. Um, well, what happened now uh, since the beginning of the year until today is that markets had to pe- push back uh, to the notion. And as of today, markets are pricing just four rate cuts for 2024. So what that has resulted into, a uh, bare uh, flattening of uh, the yield curve, uh, the 10-year yields broke above 4.2% uh, and uh, basically uh, hitting a new high, actually, of 4.3% uh, since uh, the beginning of the year. And, Soren, I really think that uh, looking ahead um, to what is going to happen this year, it's very important to acknowledge and to understand why the Federal Reserve pivoted in December. The Federal Reserve pivoted in December despite uh, U.S. GDP was uh, growing above trends for six quarters in a row, and inflation would still above uh, 3%. Why did the Federal Reserve pivot it with this uh, kind of strong macroeconomic uh, uh, data? Well, I think that it's because policymakers know that 2024 is an election year. They know that real rates remain uh, very high, the highest they've been since before the global financial crisis. And they are really scared that something breaks just as... Uh, 
um, just as the US has to vote uh, for the next uh, president, if there is volatility in the stock market, uh, that can definitely influence the outcome of the US election. So despite uh, we have a strong economy, high inflation, the Federal Reserve is going to begin cutting rates before summer, is going to taper quantitative tightening. And the big problem here is how the bond market is going to digest this, um, this thing. And let's. Uh, I think that's what we're gonna talk about in the second part of uh, of this. Let's just go to Europe because it has been, as you also mentioned in the beginning, it has been somewhat the same story in the, in in the two regions. But I guess one of one of the differences is that it isn't going as well in Europe as it has been going in the U.S. Uh, at least on the on the macro figure level. Uh, so so what has that meant for for the bond market here in Europe relative to the U.S. So when we look uh, at uh, um, European uh, macroeconomic data vis-a-vis from uh, um, to uh, U.S. macroeconomic uh, data, we see that uh, the ECB has more reason uh, to cut rates and beginning uh, cutting rates earlier than the Federal Reserve. However, when we open up uh, the data and we start to analyze them, uh, we have to acknowledge that uh, Europe is uh, growing uh, a trend. Um, the labor uh, market growth uh, is capability is slightly above a trend. Uh, productivity growth in Europe is around 0%. So um, what we have seen in the past year is uh, an economy that is growing a trend, but the labor market is the tightest the ECB has ever seen. And uh, wages are growing above 5% um, year on year, which is around uh, two percentage points above uh, where this, the ECB wants them uh, to be. So this allows uh, the, Fed, the ECB to remain where it is uh, for longer. And that's why the Federal Reserve pivoted in December. But uh, what we have seen in the ECB is this rejection of a pivot. Obviously, um, uh, policymakers are acknowledging that they are not going to hike anymore, uh, but uh, they are pushing back on the idea that uh, there will be an early uh, rate-cutting cycle and an aggressive one. And the reason for that is that uh, they are really scared that they are going to move uh, too early before uh, the Federal Reserve. And if they do that, that's going to weigh on on the euro uh, and uh, euro, uh, a lower euro means uh, higher energy cost, uh, which is definitely bad for their fight against inflation. It is kind of interesting, this idea that uh, it almost seems like it, it, it's been sort of a, a theoretical rehearsal for the central banks to go and say, now we've gotten inflation down, let's make sure we don't choke it too much. So now the books tell us that now we need to start cutting rates and then all of a sudden they wake up and say, wait a minute, actually the markets might be pointing to something different than that. So if, so I just I just think it's a very interesting uh, environment. But if we take that picture and then, then look ahead, obviously we don't know when the rate cuts are going to come. And, and in the US, we also don't know how fast they're going to come because of the election uh, or how, how, how speedy they're going to come after that. Um, 
but if we stay in the US, what what kind of market do you see the the coming year, uh, or at least in the in the relative new future for for bonds? So, I think that uh, we are up to three outcome in the second quarter of uh, the year, um, and. Uh, the reason for that is that uh, I strongly believe that the Federal Reserve is going to cut because they advertise that this kind of cuts since December. Um, and they are going to uh, taper quantitative tightening before they are going uh, to cut rates. So what happens there is that uh, in the second quarter of the year, not only the Federal Reserve is going to cut, but... Um, According to the latest uh, refunding announcement uh, from the U.S. Uh, Treasury, it seems that uh, we are going uh, to have uh, um, a coupon supply of U.S. Treasuries uh, that is at levels uh, that we have seen during the COVID pandemic. The peak should be around May, around $368 billion worth of U.S. Treasury, which is uh, just shy of $7 billion uh, the peak that um, the monthly peak that we have seen uh, uh, during uh, the COVID uh, pandemic. So, with this data at hand, uh, the jolly out there is really inflation and how market is going to perceive inflation. So, if the market uh, believes that inflation is dead, we are going to revert to two percent, and inflation is going to remain there then we are going uh, to have a bond boom market uh, because uh, the Federal Reserve is going to cut. Um, that's going to be bullish for the front part of the yield curve. The long part of the yield curve uh, perceives uh, that uh, inflation is not a problem anymore, but there are these, um, there is this huge issu- uh, issuance of U.S. Uh, uh, treasuries uh, that uh, should limit uh, the downside in yield. So basically what I'm saying is that the 10-year yields uh, is going to remain more or less where it is uh, today in that kind of uh, uh, scenario or shifts uh, mildly like lower, uh, but definitely not below 3.5% in case that's uh, that's a scenario that um, would be contemplated if uh, there is a, a severe hard landing. And the reason for that is that the long-term, uh, the longer-term uh, uh, neutral rate, according to the dot plot, is 2.5%. So 10 years should always offer a pickup above, above uh, this, um, this terminal rate. So 3.5, it's definitely uh, a strong uh, support um, there. Then there is this second scenario. So what if inflation is not dead and remains sticky or the market perceives that there is even the chance that it might rebound in the second half of the year. Well, that's going to be a big problem for both the Federal Reserve and the U.S. Treasury because it means that if the Federal Reserve cut rates despite inflation being a problem, investors might not have confidence that the Federal Reserve has inflation under control. And that would awaken bond vigilantes, which are just investors, that uh, they want to be paid a fair uh, value uh, for their bond holdings. And what the bond vigilantes would want, they would want a higher term premium, which we have seen in the last quarter of 2023, 
But uh, since the huge bond rally that we've seen uh, in November, December last year, it dropped below zero. So what's that? Uh, what how that uh, is going to look for the ten years yields? Well, that's going to be terribly bearish for ten year U.S. Treasuries and yields. Uh, might rise again above 4.5%, uh, up to 5%. Uh, and uh, the reason being is that uh, um, the yield curve uh, will, uh, would uh, bear flatten again and there is uh, um, the, the same dynamic that we have seen uh, last year. So, so the, the, main, the main things as I hear it in the U.S. is going to be inflation and then also the election and then how the Federal Reserve acts in that pretty difficult environment. Exactly. But I think the main takeaway is that uh, however we are going to look at this kind of scenario, uh, bond market volatility is going to be extremely high. And... Uh, <clears throat> And the investors have really to decide how to allocate risk in their portfolio. And it's not only from a bond perspective, it's also on other kind of assets. And uh, Soren, even if I see 10-year yields uh, rising towards 4.5% or even 5%, an investor should say, okay, but I have to see which kind of risk and reward ratio this position gives me in, for example, a stock portfolio. And uh, when you look that uh, you can secure 4.2% um, in 10-year U.S. treasuries um, and uh, that provides protection in case there is a downturn in the stock market, uh, then definitely for diversification reason, that's a compelling investment. Definitely. Is it the same story in Europe in terms of uh, inflation being the most dominant factor? Obviously, we, we also have elections in, in the European region, but but not as as predominant as, as the US will be for, for the Fed and for that market, of course. So in uh, Europe, the problem of the European sovereign bond market uh, is that uh, everybody has been buying ultra-long duration because they are betting on the expectation that uh, the um, inflation will revert to 2% or even below. The ECB is going to cut rates uh, and uh, cut them aggressively. And we are going to return to that 0% interest rate environment. So what that has caused is the ultra-long part of the yield curve to be incredibly crowded. And uh, the problem we are having is that uh, the yield curve remains somewhat uh, flattish. So the ultra-long part of the yield curve is not really giving uh, um, a pickup over other maturities. The best example out there is the Austria Century Bond. So if we compare the Austria Century Bond, at, uh, which is uh, paying 2.5% in yield, uh, we have to compare it, for example, to the 30-year uh, bond, which are also paying 2.5% in yield. However, the question is who's buying the 30-year bond 
that has a coupon uh, above 2%, a yield of 2.5%, and who's buying the Austria Century bond uh, who has a coupon of 0.85% uh, and has a maturity of uh, the same yield of the 30-year bonds and a maturity of 100 years. Well, investors buying uh, the Austria Century bonds uh, are buying it because there is a, uh, an incredibly high duration Modified duration is 40%. It means that if yields drop by 100 basis points, one would gain 40% on that position um, currently. So that's a lot of speculation. Instead, investors that they buy the 30-year boons, they are real money. So asset managers, uh, uh, pension funds, that they want to secure that kind of cash flow and coupon for 30 years. They definitely are, I'm sure that they have some allocation in the Austria Century bonds, but, you know, like looking at the 100 year being paid 0.85 just to expect the bond to get to 100 in 100 years times, it doesn't really make sense for this kind of investors. So the risk that we are having here is that there is, in Europe, it's coming about the mechanism of buy the rumor and sell the fact. And there is that fear that has the ECB engaged in interest rate cuts, then people might want to take a profit on their ultra-long bond position and that would, uh, would cause a, a bare steepening of the yield curve so that the, the longer part of the yield curve is going to offer now a considerable pickup over the 10-year benchmark, which normally should be above 50 basis points. Now it's much less, around 20, and it should range between 50 to 100 basis points. So just to, to, to quickly round this out, uh, I know that we already discussed it a little bit here, how to position, but you, you, you see that, for instance, a 30-year bond in most areas right now are more interesting than these century, like extremely long uh, maturities. So I think that 30-year uh, bonds everywhere in the globe, uh, is also in the US, uh, they are still a very much directional bet on uh, aggressive interest rate uh, um, cutting cycles. Um, and uh, inflation uh, to drop uh, to 2% or below 2%. So it makes sense uh, to take some uh, position on this part of the yield curve, but it shouldn't be um, seen as a, a riskless kind of, uh, of trade. Um, what uh, I favor is uh, definitely the sovereign bond market because yields are above average to whatever we have seen uh, in the past 10 to 15 years and, uh, um, and maturities up to 10 years. The front part of, of the yield curve up to five years is almost impossible to lose money because if I take a two years bonds in the US and in Europe and I make a risk and reward analysis, you know, holding period one year, yields rise by 150 basis points, you still wouldn't uh, um, make a loss mark to market. You need basically yields to rise by more than 200 basis points, which right now looks unlikely. Um, but uh, And also when I look at the 10 years, it looks compelling because if I do the same analysis, yields drop by 100 basis points, my position in one year is going to gain uh, 
12%, but if yields rise 100 basis points, so for example, in the case of the US uh, Treasury from 4.2% to 5.2%, which also looks, seems at least uh, now, uh, unlikely, uh, my loss will be only of 2.5%. So definitely risk-reward in the 10-year makes sense. It can be an, a very good hedge in case we have a downturn in other parts of the market. Altia, I think that was everything. Uh, we I think this was a very nice status of the market so far this year. Do you have anything that I've forgotten to ask you about or anything you want to highlight? I don't think so, but um, uh, everybody is very welcome uh, to always uh, read our analysis uh, on our website and the platform. And maybe just to, to add to that, you have just recently written a, a, a pretty nice piece about these ultra-long maturities. So I can just Absolutely. recommend everybody to go and have a look uh, for that. And then um, you can find the link in the podcast description. Uh, and with those words, I just want to say thank you so much, Altea, for being here. It was nice being in the studio with you again. And to everyone else out there, thank you so much for listening. We will be back again soon. My name is Soren Otto. On behalf of everybody here at Saxo and the Saxo Market Call Podcast, happy trading.